This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. You're a congressperson, man or woman, you're senator, man or what doesn't matter. Why can't they look at this and say, look, what's going to help soften this inflation blow? It's clear. Just lower the cost of fuel and energy for struggling families and businesses. It'll help offset the rise in interest rates affecting home prices, everyday credit, and all student loans, car loans, credit card, and business loans. Business loans affect us all. They affect the price rise to cover the cost of doing business. They've got to do it. Every facet of business is affected by inflation, and stagflation is worse. The dollar is devalued which devalues our entire economy, our lifestyles, and it makes it much harder on those at the lower end of the income scale, which doesn't let the rest of us off the hook as stock prices decline. We do get to have the vote, and it's important. trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back he does a patriotic podcast called roll right radio his name is new york mike and welcome to the show this is roll right radio on new york mike everything is so confusing today there's so many issues to talk about there are a lot of things but today we're going to talk about some biker issues because yeah, if I had the freedom to just talk about anything, it'd be all motorcycles all the time. American motorcycle, my passion for the things that I love in life. But I, I love this country. I love this country more than anything. And we have to talk about the things that are facing this country. We got to keep this country the greatest country in the world. It's so important. So, yeah, I, I, we're going to talk about inflation. It's huge. We're going to talk about freedom of speech. And we're going to talk about what's going on with this abortion issue. And it's really a freedom of speech issue. So let's get rolling with uh, Bikers Inside the Beltway. The Motorcycle Riders Foundation, great organization out of Washington, D.C. I talk about them once in a while. I do not talk about them enough. I'm going to get into the whole thing, how much they do, how much biker rights organizations do for freedom in America. I talk about freedom. I talk about everything that's so important. Freedom of choice. I did not say something about the abortion issue. That's not what it's about. The freedom of choice in America. Freedom is freedom of choice. Freedom is freedom of speech. Freedom is all the freedoms, the God-given freedoms to each and every one of us. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And that pursuit, it encompasses so much how one pursues with the things that they love, the pursuit of happiness. It's so important. So that freedom, the freedom to speak freely is such an important issue. So for bikers inside the Beltway, for all the, the motorcycle rights organizations that I've been a part of for so many years and continue to be a part of, for me, when we talk about helmet laws and we fight against helmet laws, People say, why is that so important to you, Mike? 
And they say, one, it's important to me because I'm a motorcycle rider and sometimes I like to ride without my helmet. And sometimes I like to ride with a big full face helmet. And sometimes I like to ride with my Kirsch helmet, which probably weighs about 20 pounds. But I love it because when I'm riding, it feels like it doesn't weigh anything. But it's my choice. It's my choice. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Now, I'm not saying that helmet loads are the weakest link. It's right, it's right down there. It's the smallest little, you know, we talk about freedom of choice. We're talking about so many things, religion and all, all the other things. How many people ride motorcycles and how many of those people choose to ride in some way that maybe the government, when the government says, you have to wear a helmet. If you're an adult, you have to wear this certain helmet, the certain type helmet. And I don't know, maybe there's a million out of the whole country that feel like I do. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty small percentage of the whole country. So if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a free country, that's what America is. We're free. We're fighting for our freedom. freedom. Well, that's that link. It's so important that freedom is only as strong as the weakest link. So I, I am passionate about that, both from my own selfish point of view and because it's so important for America being in a free country. So we're getting ready. Every year, the Motorcycle Riders Foundation, well, for the last, I think it's 11, 12 years, something like that, has bikers inside the Beltway. The MRF is headquartered in D.C., so they bring people, now, you know, a lot of people from Virginia, Maryland, even New York, New Jersey, Georgia, Virginia, they live close enough. So it's inside. You get to Washington and people can fly from all over the country. I've been there during that time. It's kind of hard for me because just a week after that, I'm leaving to ride my bike from San Diego to Washington, D.C. for Rolling to Remember for Memorial Day. So, you know, I'm not going to ride there, ride back. I have flown there, <laughs> flown back and ridden there, but it's important. And I'm going to talk more about it. As a matter of fact, if I had the time, I would read one of the articles that I read today in the American Bikers Journal. That's their magazine that they put out every month. There's an article. I'm going to read it at some point. It was written by Eric Ross. He's a rep's rep. But today... There's a few things. Oh, and I also want to tell you, hey, I had a great time. Saturday night, went up to Burbank. I think I mentioned that the uh, Boost Fighters Motorcycle Club, which is here since, what, 1947, been around for such a long time, great club all over the country. But the Chapter 101 out of L.A. was founded 15 years ago, and the founder was none other than Ripper. That's uh, Robert Patrick. So they had their anniversary party this weekend. The president of the chapter, <laughs> my, my buddy, my friend since he's about 10, 12 years old, gamer, invited me up. It was a pleasure to go up uh, to see a lot of the boost fighters. They rode in from, from Vegas, and a lot of guys rode up from San Diego and a lot of other places. They had a cool party. It was a lot of fun. And, and it was great. I was glad to was glad to get up there. When you talk about bikers' rights, someone like Snowman, who's president of the chapter here in San Diego, has been so active in the bait. Like a lot of these guys are. And 
I think that the Boost by the Motorcycle Club itself is so active nationwide for bikers' rights. They're active in everything. As a matter of fact, there's a huge contingent of Boost fighters who show up to uh, Washington, D.C., show up every year on Memorial Day. The Rolling Thunder, Rolling to Remember. So it was great to be with those guys, great to party with them, sing happy anniversary. Yeah, they had a birthday cake. It was cool. Great bunch of people. So let's talk about some of the other things, because when you go up to L.A., even just from San Diego, you're talking about 120 miles. At $7 a gallon of gas, on a motorcycle that gets 40 miles, this is a $40, $50 round-trip ride. Are you kidding me? How many people would have showed up in a different environment if, you know, gas in San Diego is about, what, $3 up until the Biden administration when they suddenly stopped gas and oil exploration on federal lands, shut down the Keystone Pipeline? And the Dakota Pipeline or whatever. So this is just growing fast and big. And it's getting really expensive. So at the same time, with all the expense, overall, we're talking about food. Today, you know, it's all over the news lately. Baby formula. It's so expensive and it's not even available. All this stuff. But when we talk about interest rates, they have to rise because inflation is all about all the spending out there, the billions of trillions of dollars that has been spent since the pandemic, as some people call it now. And I don't know if that's totally fair, but it certainly is legitimate to speculate on it because it seems to be just that. You have to raise the interest rates. Interest rates are so low for so long. All this money keeps on pouring into the economy until you're devaluing it. You're devaluing the trillions of dollars on the COVID thing, and it just keeps on going in to the environment. It has to be done. I understand it. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. The mortgage rates were under 3% for the longest time. And now... They're over 5%, moving up pretty quickly to over 6%. And it's killing us. So why can't an intelligent government, your Congress, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, your congressperson, man or woman, your senator, man or what doesn't matter, why can't they look at this and say, look, we need to soften what's going on for the American people. What's going to help? Soften this inflation blow. It's clear. Just lower the cost of fuel and energy for struggling families and businesses. It'll help offset the rise in interest rates, affecting home prices, everyday credit, and all student loans, car loans, credit card, and business loans. Business loans affect us all, they affect the price rise to cover the cost of doing business. They've got to do it. It includes, yeah, salaries, inventory, training, hiring, insurance, energy, taxes, legal and accounting. Every facet of business is affected by inflation, and stagflation is worse. So 
The dollar is the value, which devalues our entire economy, our lifestyles, and it makes it much harder on those at the lower end of the income scale, which doesn't let the rest of us off the hook as stock prices decline. Like I said in a recent Roll Right podcast, it used to be only about 10% of us were invested in the market. Today, with 401ks, and I'm sure other things, it's over 50% of us. So raging inflation and rising interest rates will affect you whether you feel it or not. But how can you or anybody not feel it? What's the solution? Less government spending is the first and easiest way to implement. It'll also have the quickest impact. And then it's a tie in my mind between more gas, more drilling, more pipelines, and raising interest rates. I'm not sure if they could cut back on government spending. That's the easiest, and it's the one we'd feel least. But then more drilling, more yes, and raising interest rates. I understand it. I don't like it. I'm not saying I don't get the whole interest rate thing. It's a little bit more complicated than then certainly I can explain here, or I, I intend to. I don't. But it makes sense that when you have so much money floating out there, trillions of dollars just thrown at the economy, and now they're saying so much of it was fraudulent. So it devalues the dollar. And raising rates is a necessary evil if we're going to defeat inflation. But we can offset the pain if we can lower the fuel and energy costs. And that's the problem. It's the only way to do that. Government subsidies, tax breaks, et cetera, they just don't work. The only way to do it is to make it easier to drill. Drilling is exploring. You go out there, they say, oh, you got 9,000 leases. Well, they had 37,000 the year before. But those leases, they only give you the right to explore. And when you explore, you don't find gas, you don't find oil in every oil drill that you drill. You, you just don't. I don't know what the ratio is, one out of five, one out of seven. I have no idea. But I know that it's costly and you get these dry holes. So for gas and oil, to, to make it easier and make it easier to open pipelines, energy costs affect everything. So much is made from oil and gas, from plastics to, to batteries. Where do you think electricity comes from? To almost everything that's manufactured. And then the distribution cost. Diesel fuel, jet fuel, whatever, add to the price of everything that's sold. If we could lower the cost of fuel by only 10%, we could lower the inflation rate. I don't understand why the Republican Party doesn't do a whole economic disclosure study on the cost of inflation and particularly how much lowering the fuel cost alone would help or how much damage this war on fossil fuel is doing. You've got these economic professors and people on both sides. I mean, I know when you talk about the media, 90-something percent are on the left. I get that. 
I know that the vast majority, maybe not vast, but the majority of these college professors seem to be on the left. I don't know why. Well, I kind of sort of do know why. I'm not going to get into it. But we see a lot of doctors from Harvard to Stanford and other places who take the opposite position of this administration on COVID. So why aren't they coming out of their hiding places? And I get it. They have taken a lot of abuse. The ones who come out and talked about COVID and talked about how Fauci is wrong, they've taken a lot of abuse. So I do get it. But when it comes to economics, why can't they make us understand what the price is that we're paying for this war on fossil fuel? Because I haven't seen Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 mules yet. But I'll bet a study of the rising gas prices and how they've affected inflation would be even more impactful. And also easier and less costly to produce. So it needs to be put out there. The American people need to hear this. We've got to stop. We've got to stop this cancel culture. We've got to start allowing people to speak. When we talk about that, I don't think that we can talk about what's going on with the looming SCOTUS decision. When we talk about freedom of speech, I think we have to include, well, not just include, but I think this Roe v. Wade, everybody's like, the end of the world if they overturn Roe v. Wade, which is not true, and it's not true that they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We don't know that. It's just a memo that has been exposed wrongly. It's criminal that they did that. This is just a memo going between the Supreme Court justices that they pass around to each other before they put out their final decision. And they say, hey, this is how I feel. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. Listen, I don't agree with you. Or, yeah, I agree on that and that. And this is between them. But even the exposure of just a memo has made people crazy. They're bombing churches. They're bombing pro-life buildings. We're in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. Why does that not surprise me? But it's still, it's wrong. It's criminal. This isn't the way this country is supposed to work. This has taken a page out of the Democratic playbook from two years ago after George Floyd. They let every Antifa and, and Black Lives Matter organization go out there and burn down America. Billions and billions of dollars of damage. We talk about it all the time. So the looming Supreme Court decision on abortion is front and center in our politics right now. Probably, or at least arguably overshadowing the war in the Ukraine, which may become World War III. So it seems to me that's a separate issue, by the way, one that examines and challenges our priorities. Really? We're sitting here watching the world that might be on the edge of World War III, but, oh, a memo is exposed, and just take a look at the country. Take a look at these pro-choice nut jobs. And they're not pro-choice, by the way. They're pro-abortion. There's a big difference. And so they're going out there like their world will end. But, oh, yeah, what's going on in Ukraine? What's going on with Russia? What Putin said in his May 9th speech? 
These are things that aren't on the front pages of anything. It's like everything takes a backseat to abortion. That's a whole separate issue. It's an issue that really examines and challenges our priorities and our values as well as our understanding of the issues that we face and their possible consequences. The abortion issue is mostly emotional. I get it. From the bombing of abortion clinics to assassination of abortionist doctors to the level of damage done and the size of pro-choice and pro-life rallies. I mean, clearly the pro-choice crowd is louder, but with less specific targets, although until now they've had less targets. Now they seem to be targeting everything, including, maybe especially, I, I don't know how to balance this because we're talking about the homes of justices and then we're talking about firebombing, throwing Molotov cocktails in Catholic churches and this pro-life organization in Wisconsin. This isn't good and it's going to get a lot worse. So now they've targeted the six conservative justices. They've been doxxed, which means their home addresses have been given out and they're protesting, quote-unquote protesting, at their homes. You know, these protests, again, from the George Floyd days, we see what their protests are like. And so we can only hope that they stay civil at the same time. It's not civil when you have your families at home. I don't know how old the kids are of these justices, but it's a little scary. Maybe it's a lot scary. I'm not there. It's not my house where there's hundreds of people chanting and yelling and screaming and cursing. And I got to protect my kids from that. They're also sending death threats, which, by the way, is not new to these justices. And it's all spurred on and even inspired by Democrat members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, while TV hosts on various left-leaning cable and network, which, by the way, most of cable and network television are left-leaning. They're now targeting Republican women. Huh? Turn on the TV. You'll see them. They're targeting Republican women. Now, I don't know if they're going after just Republican women in general, which is so stupid. Or, for those unfamiliar with Republican women, there's a worldwide organization called Republican Women Federated. Now, look, I ran for office three times, twice for the state assembly and then for mayor of San Diego. And believe me when I tell you, that was my introduction to Republican Women Federated. Didn't know anything about them. I'm invited down. I remember the first time I was running for the assembly and I get invited down to one of the several chapters. I think it was Point Loma and then Rancho Santa Fe chapter. And then there was a couple of others, and on several occasions. And I want to tell you, I was to say the very least, I was totally impressed. In fact, whenever I speak to candidates, people running for office often ask me any advice and things like that. It's two main pieces of advice I give them. One, make sure you speak to every Republican woman federated group you can. And I'll tell you why. The second one, just so you know, is get those small donations, like in, in front of grocery stores. Not to dismiss the big donors, don't get me wrong, 
Those donors are important. But don't forget, each $10 and $20 donation represents someone who's invested in your campaign. And so they're vested in you winning. The larger donations are important, of course, but kind of scarce compared to the hundreds, maybe thousands who become part of your team when they give those 10 and $20, $5, doesn't matter. Once they make that donation, you know, you're there, you're in front of the Ralph's grocery store, you're in front of whatever. They talk to you or talk to your rep, they find out about you. If they reach in their pocket and pull out a buck, they're in your campaign. You got it. It's important to maintain that. And not only that, but it's also important because of the visibility. But getting back to the Republican Women Federated, they're a fun group of very diversified, in a good way. <laughs> they don't pick and choose. Okay, we have this many women who are pro-choice, pro-life. So many black women, so many Jews, so many Catholics. No, not that way. They're just diversified. They're diversified in their thoughts, in their ideas, in their, their level of commitment to, well, to the Republican Party, as well as to different issues. They're just a great group and not as divisive. You know, if you're a candidate, you're going to be speaking in front of a lot of groups, and a lot of them are pretty divisive. But this group, Republican Women Federated, in my experience, not as divisive. Some are more deeply committed than others, of course, but it's their hospitality, their perspectives, their different perspectives about all these things that I remember the most. You know, many business owners and professionals, but most, almost all of them, are wives and mothers whose views on issues like war and family values come from a place that isn't heard from enough or appreciated enough, nor are they at all monolithic, as people seem to think. It's interesting that the Dems, the Democrat activists, are now targeting Republican women as if they are 100% against legal abortions. When it's just a fact, about 30% of Democrats are just as pro-life as any Republican. We're going to a Republican group. Most of them are pro-life, but that doesn't mean that we want to make abortion illegal. As a matter of fact, I said this the other day. I'll say it again. I've said it many times over the years. I do not want abortion to be illegal, and I want to tell you why. I grew up when abortion was illegal. And another statistic, by the way, in the same place, I'm not drifting yet. There's a story being told that when Stalin made abortion illegal in Russia, there were actually more abortions. And I don't know if there were more or less when I was a kid, but there were always abortions from my earliest high school memories. Sometimes it was scandalous. We didn't know about all of them, but they were horrible. You know, when you see people put out that image of a coat hanger, because that's what girls used to use behind closed doors in the bathroom. Or they'd go to these abortionists, people that would charge money to do this in places that were horrible, basements and different places. It was illegal and it caused permanent damage. So many of these 
girls could never have babies again. Not only do they have to live with the trauma of having had an abortion, but the physical damage that was caused. It was Bill Clinton, just to show you that even the Democrat side, the most pro, quote-unquote, pro-choice Bill Clinton, he always said they wanted abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. And if it's legal, it's got to be safe. And that's one of the conditions that will always have to be met. Now, I know that there are states that try to pass laws that if you're going to have a parenthood place or some other abortion thing, it's got to be within a certain distance of a real hospital. There's rules thrown out there for a reason. People put these things out there, not because they're just trying to eliminate abortion, which safe, legal, and rare. What happened to rare? So, yeah, you want to reduce the amount of abortions, but you definitely want to make sure they're safe. If it's going to be legal, that's one of the only reasons to make it legal. So it's always safe. These Democrat activists who call themselves pro-choice, they're pro-abortion, and they're now targeting the Republican women. 30% of your Democrats are just as pro-life. And it's not at all 100% on either side when even committed conservatives like Sean Hannity, and I'm just using his name because it's big, but I just saw him on TV the other day. He wants restrictions, like even if it's legal, like rape, incest, and the life of the mother. So yes, he doesn't want abortion, but there's got to be some instances when abortion is okay. And, you know, he said his words, rape, incest, and the life of the mother. And many who are adamantly pro-choice think the time of pregnancy should also be a limiting factor. Roe v. Wade says abortion should be legal up to 24 weeks, and that's about six months. And Louisiana law that's now in front of SCOTUS says 15 weeks, which is just about four months. So why can't we have this debate? And why shouldn't citizens have the right to choose for themselves, which is exactly what Roe v. Wade prohibits, our right to choose? I'd like to remind Republicans, by the way, that it was pro-life absolutist Alan Keyes who lost to Barack Obama in the 2004 Illinois U.S. Senate race that propelled Obama to the presidency. I met Keyes at the Republican convention in Philadelphia in 2000. Yeah, that's when he was running for president, by the way. Just for statistical sakes, the presidential race in 2000, okay, Keyes got 0.29% and McCain got 0.05. So he beat McCain. <laughs> Crazy. But then in 04, Jack Ryan was the Republican candidate for the Senate, but the Chicago Tribune uncovered that he had his wife do porno films, if I remember right. He backed out and Keyes became the candidate, a black man. So here you have two black men, Keyes, who spent $14 million, according to my research, and Obama spent $2.5 million, and Obama won 
by 43%. So, look, Alan Keyes was a radical. The guy seemed brilliant. And he was so absolutely 100% make abortion illegal. And I remember him condemning. You think Trump said bad things about John McCain? Yeah, he made some jokes. I didn't like him either. But when I heard Alan Keyes talk about him, he called him a pro-choice abortionist because John McCain said that, yeah, he's against abortion unless it's in the case of rape incest or the life of the mother. And Keyes went off on him. So you get these radical people on left and right. And you can infer anything you want about Alan Keyes. Keyes would not consider anything at all. He would make all abortion illegal no matter what. He had some choice words from McCain. I was there. I talked to the guy, of, yeah, about this issue. I was at the Republican convention. I was there with Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell. It was exciting to be at that convention. But then you meet with a guy like Keyes and you go, what's wrong with these people? You know, now we have states and major candidates who say abortion should be illegal right up to birth and even after birth, as the Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, famously said, and I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was a pediatrician, he said he would end a human life hours after its birth. That's just the fact that I, I saw that. I saw him say it. The fact is, these are nut jobs. I put them right next to Alan Keyes. All these people, they want these quote-unquote late-term abortions right up to birth and after birth, but even right up to birth. The fact is, not all pro-abortion or anti-abortion is absolute far from it. And a national policy just doesn't work for most Americans. And what if this SCOTUS decision only allows the Louisiana law to stand, okay, with a limit that says life of the mother, rape incest, up to 15 weeks, okay? And why shouldn't the people of Louisiana be able to decide for themselves? The Dems, they may be shocked when they discover this issue isn't the hill Americans are willing to die on. Why shouldn't the people of different places, like Louisiana, maybe there's other places that'll say 16 weeks, 20 weeks, 10 weeks, I don't know. Different places in the country have the right to choose. Why shouldn't the citizens of each state decide for themselves? Why? What's wrong? You talk about pro-choice? That's pro-choice. Yeah, I was talking about helmet laws. I don't want to compare wearing a helmet to killing a baby. That's how I feel. So I'll, I'll say it that way. But only 19 states have motorcycle helmet laws for adults. We have a constitution in this country that allows us to choose. That's pro-choice. That's pro-American. Every voice not only should be heard, but we need every voice that wants to be heard. Cancel culture or censorship. It's all wrong. It's the essence of fascism. It's what one the Virginia governorship for Governor Youngston and for the Republicans. 
and it should be the rallying cry of the Republican Party in the 2022 elections. And the abortion issue is the perfect issue, not critical race theory and gender teaching to little kids, is it? But the right to choose the laws that limit, restrict, or end a life is a choice we should be allowed to freely voice our opinion about. It's an issue that we're so passionate about that it's un-American to limit speech, to limit or to make any opinion virtually outlawed, as Biden saying, the MAGA crowd is the most extreme ever, as in evil. That's what he's saying. That's what these Democrats continue to say. When Hillary Clinton called us all deplorables, 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. And this president is calling us extreme? The extreme left that's giving us this open border issue? That's giving us this crazy inflation because they're so crazy about climate change that they think closing down gas and oil exploration and closing down pipelines is a good thing. It's a horrible thing. And he's calling us, he's calling us evil. I don't care how you say it. I'm paraphrasing it. But when he says the MAGA crowd, the most extreme ever, he clearly means evil. And just as indeplorable. They say the same things. We're all Americans, Mr. President. We all have a say in the governance of our country. And we should be encouraging more people to express their views. Dave Zine was a good friend of mine. You talk about motorcycle rights and issues. Dave Zine, who had been a Marine. Dave and I talked a lot over the years. Just a great guy and a great speaker, by the way. He was a state senator from Wisconsin for over 20 years. We'd both speak at events around the country, a lot of motorcycle events. And Dave would always rise. One of the few guys. <laughs> this is one of the things I loved about Dave. I was crazy enough to ride my motorcycle. I still do to all these events. But Dave, Dave was a state senator. But he always rode his motorcycle to whatever the event was. It was actually pretty, pretty cool. And um, we would both speak at these events. And he used to say to me afterwards, he'd say, Mike, when you teach, you teach and you learn. And he's right. Not just because you read or do research before you, you speak about things, but because of the questions that people ask, the comments that they make, pro and con. You know, you expose yourself, and that exposes others. And that's what democracy is really about. And it's so important. Here we have this issue. It's like they think, they, this pro-choice, quote-unquote, pro-abortion. They have me saying pro-choice. I don't want to say it. This pro-abortion. We want to make it, at least make it rare, right off the bat. Make it rare. Make it a choice, a difficult choice. It's a life. It's a life. So making the choice, let's talk about it. Why can't I have the freedom to have that discussion without being called deplorable, without being called an extremist? I'm not. I want to make abortion safe, legal, and rare. Yes, that's what I want to do. I'm following the footsteps of, of Bill Clinton. Oh my God. <laughs> that's crazy. But that's sensible. What's not sensible is shutting down the discussion. Okay, you're concerned that 
the Supreme Court may say that by approving the law in Louisiana, it basically just says Roe v. Wade doesn't exist anymore. I don't understand why I don't, but that's okay. Let's say it does. Then what they're saying is it goes back to a decision of each state. I guess because if it's okay for Louisiana, you can't have a, a legal abortion after 15 weeks. I guess every other state has the right to vote. So in effect, because of that, Roe v. Wade becomes mute. All right. It may as well not be there. I guess they didn't overturn Roe v. Wade in that case. But in effect, they said it's okay for each state. Listen, I started to say I'm not a legal scholar. I'm certainly not a legal scholar. I've been undermined by lawyers all my life. But I, I am going to say that I don't understand it because I don't. It seems like they are going to vote in favor of the state of Louisiana. That's what it seems like to me. I did not see Roe v. Wade on the docket. I did not see that the approval or disapproval of Roe v. Wade. What I saw was the approval or disapproval of the law passed by the state of Louisiana that you can have a, an abortion up to 15 weeks. And so I'm assuming that if they agree with that, then in effect, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Let's leave it there. I will ask an attorney tomorrow at the risk that I, <laughs> that I may be billed at some exorbitant rate for the question. So, no, I kid you. I, but I will ask. So I'll ask several. I know attorneys. <laughs> I'll ask him about that because now that I'm talking about, see, you teach and you learn what you don't know. <laughs> I'm realizing I don't understand the nuance, why they vote on the law in Louisiana and it affects the whole country. But I'll tell you what should not affect the whole country because what's good for one group of people isn't necessarily good for another. What's good for New York or California isn't good for Louisiana. Maybe the same holds true for Alabama or Kentucky or I don't know. So why isn't it appropriate for each state? Like I said, we have the freedom to choose. And that's what it's broken down to. No, we don't ask for that in each city, in each municipality. But each state, according to the Constitution, which I read once or twice a year, and I still don't know the answer. I am not going to tell you I'm some sort of a constitutional scholar. I'm just an American citizen. And for the last, I don't know how many years, you know, I always carry that little booklet with the Constitution in it, and I read it. I don't read it all at once. Over a period of a year, I, I read a handful of pages over a cup of coffee here and there. I'm not going to try to interpret it to you, but I'm capable of carrying on a real discussion about our Constitution. And I'm not saying everybody should. I think it'd be a good thing especially these pro-life people. But you talk about Chuck Schumer, talk about Nancy Pelosi, talk about these Democrat members of Congress and the Senate and the House. Shouldn't they be required 
to have at least a basic understanding of that Constitution? Why hasn't there been? I mean, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg had said something about Roe v. Wade is on weak constitutional ground. She said that. And why can't the Democrats understand that we need to revisit that issue? They have some Latin term for if it's been in law for a long time, it'll stay in law. Things in motion stay in motion. It shouldn't and it doesn't work that way. You know, we have amendments to the Constitution all the time. New laws come in effect and from time to time. It is appropriate to re-examine laws and see if they hold or they need to be reinforced. For crying out loud, they keep on wanting to re-examine the Second Amendment. The right to keep an own arm shall not be infringed. Oh, they'll keep on telling you only in the militia. You have to be in the militia. They would overturn that in a New York minute. But, oh my God, overturn Roe v. Wade? No, heaven forbid. This is the worst thing that can happen to America. I'm not laughing. It's not a joke. But you know, the great thing about this country is we do get to have these discussions. We do get to have the vote. And it's important. And again, especially for everyone who's pro-life to whatever degree, get out there and vote. Because if they win in November, they will codify Roe v. Wade in the Constitution. They will codify it. They'll pass a law. They, they are now on notice that they may lose this. And if they do not lose Congress in this next election, I'm telling you, they will do whatever it takes to cement it into the Constitution, into the fabric of America. They will do that. You must rise up. I think we could make this SCOTUS issue work in our favor. The only thing they have, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we can win the 22 election. We can keep the House. We can get the Senate. We could do all that because of Roe v. Wade, because we're going to energize our people. Well, you know what? They're wrong. We are going to energize our people. We're going to energize people that agree with me. I know there's a lot of people that want to make abortion illegal. I get it. We could discuss it with each other. I don't agree with it. But we do want to make it safe and legal and absolutely 100% totally rich. <laughs> and that's why I love America. This is what democracy is really about. And that's what Roll Right Radio is about. Good, bad, or otherwise. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Yeah, Roll Right Radio, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.